Hello, you're listening to The Consequential Podcast with myself, Dave Convery, and Roger Roger Hart. Hello. This evening, we're going to be talking about questions, which is, specifically, we've not done an awful lot of preparation. So we have a whole load of questions from loyal listeners, which we'll get onto in a moment. But first of all, I have a question for you, Roger. Oh, God. What, what, what indignities are you going to perpetrate today? For, first of all... Why, why did you forget the wine? <laughs> what? I, it, because, because it wasn't certain we were doing a podcast today and I've run out of wine. You mean you don't just have one in your satchel at all times? No, we're down to like stuff on the wine rack that I don't really want to open. Okay, the second question is, and it's related, what do you think is in the pallid, foamy glass before you? <laughs> What have you done? See, when I came into the room, these glasses were sat on the table like a threat. This felt like the face, like a Warren Ellis interrogation scene or something. Oh, yes, they are explicitly a threat. So let's uh, let's it's get the a, nose on that. Shall it's we? got a gentle scum to the top of it. It's yes, the colour uh, of diabetics' urine. I worked hard on the scum. I'm glad you <laughs> glad you appreciate it that. It really does look like you spat in this. I didn't spit in it. Our, our tender listeners, personally. <laughs> Our tender listeners would, may, may enjoy noting that Mr. Convery has presented me with a cloudy, unpleasant-looking fluid. I mean, it really does look like post-mouthwash runoff. If you'll but excuse the thudding noise, I'll put a glass on the table and just get a little, get a little picture of that to it, uh, it, it, illustrate the whole affair. It, it smells like... I don't know what it smells like. The end times... To be honest, it smells like lemon cordial with cheap vodka in it. You are very close. Mmm. <laughs> Surprisingly tasty. It is, in fact, lemon cordial with free, not cheap, free <laughs> gin in it. Well, that's nice. Where did you get free gin? People just give me stuff. <laughs> I've got one of those faces. They just give me stuff. Is that because you're holding a Stanley knife? Yes. It's nice, isn't it? Why does it have a texture? So what have you been reading? (laughs) I have been reading the manga series Judge um, by Yoshiki Tanogai. That's... um, I think it's five or six volumes in total, of which the first four are available in English, maybe the first five, but only the fifth in the US, something like that. Anyway, there are four out easy to buy in Britain. Um, and I think we might have talked about it before. It's, um, I, I read the first one ages ago. We did. I think we talked about it in the horror episode. Yeah. And then picked up the others. The first was the first was a, a gift from, from Kit, and then I sort of yeah, picked up the others. Um, or were they also gifts from people? One of them, at least one of them was. I forget things. And um, anyway, that's 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 sort of a passenger in your own life, really, aren't you? Sometimes, yeah, it's kind of harrowing. No, um, so it's it's the the premise is it's a little bit battle royale, a little bit some other things in that mold. The premise is that a bunch of people, each loosely corresponding to or attribute associated with one of the seven deadly sins, wake up in an abandoned courthouse and find themselves trapped in some kind of deadly game. Basically, they've all got to vote on someone to die until there are only four of them left, at which point the four can leave. And it's about 
the power dynamics that emerge and kind of bits of their backstory and what have you, and then trying to work out what's going on and factions forming. It very clearly wants to be a TV show. It did actually get a live action uh, movie adaptation. The trailer. How for cheap? Medium. The trailer looks like every Western caricature of every Japanese game show ever mashed into every Western caricature of every Japanese horror film ever. I'll be rushing out to watch that. Um, but quite sinister. So at the beginning, at the beginning, um, when everyone arrives, they have these animal heads, giant outsized animal heads, masks on, which I assume have some kind of culture, cultural connotation in Japanese that I'm missing. Maybe attributes or character attributes. But it's it's a lot less creepy because quite early on they take them off. At which point, the fact that it's a middle of the road manga becomes painfully obvious, and that some of the characters look a bit the same. And, you know, it's it's good, but not that. Good. It's got a lot of atmosphere, and it's got some very problematic economy of storytelling. It spends a lot of pages, a lot of panels, a lot of time on little moments and little details, kind of tiny nuances of tension, but without really building much story or much character. It's just... It's just quite wasteful storytelling in a way that doesn't really add up. The horror pacing doesn't work, then, as yeah, a result of that. pretty much. I, it is it is enjoyable, but and it but the overpromise under deliver I guess like the the premise is far stronger than some of the actual execution. That can be the problem with high concept stuff mm. is that you know when you can describe something very snappily and it sounds brilliant, it's very hard to actually deliver on something like that where the concept is a bigger sell than anything mm. you do with it. I also think it might be a little bit iconographically confused. So the seven deadly sins motif. Found that with a few bits of manga and anime, um, Neon Genesis Evangelion mm. is particularly bad for borrowing and really confusing symbolism. Yeah, I don't know if it's deliberately mixed up or if Tanoga hasn't done his homework, or I I have no idea. But the Seven Deadly Sins thing doesn't come through all that strongly in the character traits. Insofar as it does, it's pretty perfunctory. Um, there's a lot of sort of justice, very, very kind of European, particularly sort of Greek early democracy style justice imagery that isn't necessarily all that well used. Um, I don't know. It feels like it could be about justice in a more interesting way than it actually bothers being. And there's some slightly wobbly gender politics. Well, it's not even gender, there's some wobbly gender politics and also wobbly sexuality politics. So that's a cautious recommendation at best, then. Yeah, I'm I'm enjoying it, but oh, it, it really could use a rework. Anything else? Uh, I have started reading about halfway through um, Defoe 1666, which I initially thought was Bobbins, and then I realised that I was probably just drunk. Yeah, so I, based on the fact that we've been talking about 2008 a lot, I thrust this into your sweaty palms. And um, I I wouldn't say it's brilliant, but it's a quite a fun action story, and it's quite interesting just because it's written by Pat Mills. I, I quite like um, the period touches as well. Yeah, I think there's a, for quite a silly premise, which is that a grumpy former leveller is drafted into um, the sort of post-Civil War... Uh, governmental army to be zombie hunter general mm. or zombie finder general? Hunter. Do they actually go that far? No, it's hunter. Um, uh, 
it it's surprisingly faithful to period touches apart from it's quite that. well researched um and i just really enjoyed it one because it's yeah it's pat mills who it's pat mills who started 2000 ad and mm. and has sort of kept up with the modernization and storytelling um it doesn't backtrack as much as as older stories in 2000 ad did it really sort of flows pretty well so i started reading it um when i came back from the pub and then picked it up sort of after that and i definitely picked it at a bad time the the art is very busy it's very scratchy yeah i i think uh, it's really a, quite dynamic i initially thought that it was overcrowded to the point of obfuscating and I think I was just a little bit too far from sober to concentrate properly. Um, yeah, I think it's quite a deliberate throwback to EC horror comics and the sort of very thick black line work. And I, I don't, I still don't like it, but I no longer, like, having taken a second look at it, I no longer feel it's getting in the way. Um, the storytelling can be a little bit jumpy. It's not so. We we, we talked about this a little earlier. It's yes, it's an in media raise start, and indeed. For, seems to run like that way for, for quite a lot of it but for that e- even within that it's not great at exposition so there's or it, it, there's some the it, establishment. Holds, it holds a lot of stuff back yeah but I can see how it would be it doesn't take it doesn't really hurry with explaining anything also I'm just quite tired of zombies yeah I thought they were kind of secondary um, it sort of didn't matter so much in that they were clearly just a slightly more intelligent form of plague yeah effectively it didn't matter so much because the rest of it was around sort of social dynamics of that era yes. anyway and, and that is that is quite plague. interestingly sketched um so yeah i i enjoyed it it's kind of a romp with other stuff going on um the second volume is bigger and sillier and that uh, he has to gather up another load of zombie hunters and they're all assholes um, they're pretty much entirely criminals, and it's it's the dirty dozen. You do enjoy historical bastards. Yes, I do. Yes. Speaking of which, I've been reading From Hell, which is mm. full of historical bastards. Um, I mean, I've read it before, but I'm just going through it again and getting through it surprisingly quickly. It's a jolly read, isn't it? <sighs> Cheery, Mr. Connery. Yeah, but it's it just it changes itself so frequently which must have been incredibly frustrating reading it when it first came out as single issues. Mm. Um, but just, oh, was that serialised? It was serialised originally. Gosh, I just yeah. assumed it was a um, graphic novel. Originally. No, it jumped from publisher to publisher, as so many Alan Moore projects do. Um, did he just start a series of fights? Presumably. I think various things closed. Um, but, yeah, it jumped, it jumped from publisher to publisher um, and eventually got collected in the hulking great tome we know today. Mm. Um but, I mean, saying From Hell is a good book is not a particularly controversial statement. At this, at, at no, nor, nor massively insightful. I believe you should try harder. I like the pictures, except when they're Warmer. full of blood. Um, no, it's just... Um, it, it sort of delves into sort of psychogeography stuff that a lot of things mm. do, but without sort of explicitly saying, this is brilliant, mostly because the psychogeography is explained by a violent, angry misogynist. Um, and is explicitly in those terms. Well, that sequence where he's dragging the cabbie around London explaining the figurative significance of space, yeah. spaces, is compelling and grotesque. Yes. And I think that's one of the reasons that it works so well for me, is that more 
despite you know believing variants of this stuff, never really lands one side or another on the usefulness of symbolism, the sort of psychogeographical symbolism, the the, the Freemasonry, um, or what, if anything, the nature of magic is in the book, and it's just really quite interesting and when I get through it I'm going to go back and read the From Hell Companion that came mm. out last year or the year before oh I never read that um, I think I got it as one of the humble bundle books for one of the things I picked up mm. so I'm going to go back and have a go over that um, but far newer newer more recent thing I've been reading is um, a no brow press book called uh, Moonhead and the Music Machine by Andrew Ray um, you would not like this because it's quite cheery um, and you're a grotesque human being. Yes. Um, I often wonder if you are, in fact, just the Krampus. <laughs> Shh. Okay. Well, you you drink your drink your gin and lemon. Um, I actually have to drink this shit because my throat is quite clearly going, and this is the only thing keeping me from descending into full-on Batman voice. So, yeah, Moonhead and the Music Machine is. It's kind of like a jolly version of Fight Club. Uh, <laughs> if you sort of replace the fights with uh, a high school talent show and uh, the the lunacy with um, various friends and that doesn't the sort of sound like Fight Club. Lums. That sounds like you're desperately trying to make me read something I won't like. I don't think you'd like Fight Club either. I would pick something that Virginia Woolf did if I, if I was Fight trying Club. to lure you in. Um, God, imagine a Virginia Woolf version of Fight Club. I can't. I actually can't. Um, it would probably be incredibly anti-Semitic. <laughs> she did do a bit of the anti-Semitism. Yeah, she did. Now, in this, a uh, young boy with a moon for a head. Um, hence the name. I know, it's a metaphor. He's slightly scatterbrained. His head is elsewhere. I don't know if you could get the metaphor from the name. I'm clever like that. Yeah. Um, winds up uh, entering a music talent contest and builds a ridiculous machine that makes music. But he just has to believe in himself. And really, that really is that. That kind of is it. And it's kind of it's hard to uh, make that not sound shit. But it's not shit. Um, mainly because it's it ridiculously surreal. Um, it's beautifully drawn. Okay. It's a sort of. Um, it's a bit like Dan Close, lots of very precise, mm-hmm. um, uh, sort of precise straight line work and, and very precise geometric circles and things like that. Interesting, because um, I was imagining, as you described it, the thing I have in my head is quite watercolory. No, it's very cheery and very, very uh, primary colours. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, I, I can't say that it's my, you know, even one of my favourites of the year, but it's just really quite sweet and pleasant and has a degree of visual inventiveness that I haven't seen in many other things this year. Hmm. Interesting. A cautious recommendation for it. Sorry, who's it by? Andrew Ray. What else might he have done that we might know? I don't know anything else of his. He does a lot of design work. Drawn and written, presumably. Yes. Hmm. Well, I might have a little look. Shall we take some questions from our oh, yes, we have questions from our notional, notional audience. We have an audience. So, should we start with a sensible one? <laughs> the sensible one. No, th- th- there are a few sensible ones. No, there aren't. Oh. 
Just pick one. Controversial. Who is the most overrated comic book writer of all time? One quality. Um, who asked that? That one comes from Nick in Cambridge. Oh, good question, Nick. Thanks, Nick. Um, who is the most overrated? Um, God, it's been on my mind a little bit, so I'm tempted to leap straight to Frank Miller. Yeah. But that's just because I only today realise that they've made another fucking movie. Frank Miller's good when he's good, um, but there's always the slight problem that he's a racist, misogynist ass of a man, mm. and that Sin City is not so much a pastiche of pulp uh, noir as it is Frank Miller's masturbatory fantasy. Yeah, it's sticky. It is. It really is. It's a deeply unpleasant world, and you initially think that it's structured like that to teach you something or reflect something, and no, it does just increasingly feel like a power fantasy as the books progress. The first couple are kind of alright. The visual conceits are lovely. I like the weird colours. So I'm tempted to agree, just because I don't like Frank Miller as a human being. But overrated um, has a particular quality to it that maybe he doesn't quite address. Yes, and his, his good books tend to be actually good. Yeah. Which is annoying. We could go super controversial and say Stan Lee, but I don't think I could sustain that argument. I just don't mean it. No, I think it's... I don't think he's viewed in the same way. Mm. I mean, he is someone that invented a lot of characters or claims Also, he's of. trying to do... He, he entirely nails what he set out to do. You, you can't really... Yeah. If you, you have to be quite aggressive about not judging Stanley on his own terms in order to be a dick about him. How about Grant Morrison? <sighs> yeah, that'll do. I really like Grant Morrison, though, so you can have that if you want. I'm just throwing that, throwing that to you. Or, um... Twat who did Kick-Ass, Mark Miller. Yeah, Mark Miller's a good call. Um, because so, Kick-Ass is a piece of shit. I think it's kind of fun, but it slides off the edge pretty hard. And this is my problem, right? Mm. So ignore the movie. Because um, this isn't a movie podcast. But so there's, there's cool I much st- prefer the movie to the comic. Uh, yeah, but there's cool stuff in the comic, but it slides off into this neck-beardy male empowerment wank fantasy. Um, yes... It's got a lot of humour, it's got a lot of fun, it's got that postmodern ho-ho superheroes thing. slightly Excellent. winking at the masculinity stuff, and so is Wanted, which is also horrible. Mm. Um, I was thinking, sorry, it's actually Wanted I was thinking of. Uh, it's Wanted that has the worst excesses of that. Yeah, no, want, Wanted is basically the... Uh, the um, but yes, Kick-Ass has, has some of it. And then, <laughs> there's promising stuff that just doesn't deliver. Or it goes slightly wrong. Um, his role on the authority with the, the really grubby Seth stuff is great, but just exceeds what's sensible and has some fairly cr- crummy, obvious jokes. And yeah, I didn't mind some of his stuff. Like, so the Ultimates didn't go too far wrong. There were oh, bits true. of it that were quite it's nasty. It's hard to fault the original one on the Ultimates. But at the same time, people love the guy, and he's clearly just churning out movie pictures and has been for ten years. And I think I think he probably matches overrated as opposed to actively terrible quite neatly. Fair. We're going with Mark Miller. Thank you, Nick. That's settled. You can fight us if you disagree. Nick from Cambridge, then. No, 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 Nick can't fight us. Nick's a mixed martial artist. He'll kill us. 
If you had a time machine... Oh, not this one. ...and a gun, <laughs> would you go back and... Assi- I love the fact that the gun is specified, because <laughs> if you had a time machine, I'm pretty sure you could get a gun. That seems like the, the simpler Although point. you might be trading on the stats if it's a time machine that doesn't also move in space. Maybe. That's just mathematical complications. Yeah. This, this, anyway, this, this one's coming from Adam from the internet. Mm. Um, if you had a time machine and a gun, would you go back and assassinate Hitler, that's Adolf Hitler, the leader of Nazi Germany, or Vincent Conair, the designer of Comic Sans? And Trebuchet MS. Okay, right, but that doesn't really stack up, does it? It kind of does. Trebuchet MS was a genuinely credible system-native serif. It, I reckon it did a lot, went, went a long way to erasing the ill done by Comic Sans. And, I'm just going to throw this out here, used in context, Comic Sans is fine. I had a whole bunch of other reasons for saying Hitler, but we're going to go with Hitler, right? Well, ah, so here is, here is the thing, right? Are you going to go into effects on the timeline? Not quite. Um, I'm going to go to futility. I wish it I is, had more gin. It is just possible. Now, I'm not a historian of the period by any stretch, but it is just possible that Hitler himself wasn't the important part and that the social and political structures would have produced something just as bad. That said, I don't think we need to kill the other guy. No, and he seems quite nice, really. Yeah, I, I interviewed on a, on a documentary about his work on Comic Sans, and he took it all with a laugh. I think you would have to. There's, there's basically, you know, Comic Sans... Obviously, this is a stupid question, but it's the best kind of stupid question in that it lets me wank on about typography. Um, That's not the best kind of stupid question. (laughs) The best sort of stupid question is the sort that specifically precludes that. And they have to be very, very carefully worded. So, (laughs) exquisitely current. So, provided killing Hitler has a positive effect, you know, provided he's... provided he provided Hitler was the important part of the Hitler problem, then yes, obviously you kill Hitler if you've got the time machine and the gun. And hopefully, you you know, that that all shakes out nicely, because Gunnar seems kind of nice. I'm going to go with Hitler as well, because of World War II, mostly. Yeah. Okay. Hitler. So, the answers so far are Mark Miller and Hitler. So, this one, this one comes from uh, Andrew in London. Is it just me, or a dark horse, a slowly deflating balloon with a sad face painted on it? It is not just you. It is not just you. Dark Horse um, used to be the publishing house that had Star Wars, Disney, Hellboy, and a few other things. They are now the publishing house that has Hellboy. They've done... Go on, name something. Aren't Aren't they publishing mind management? That's true, they are doing that. that. My management is fantastic. That's true. They've, they've lost massive ground to image. They've still got... Yes, true. So they have been a, a massive casualty of image really having their shit together. Yeah. Um, they publish higher quality by default than image do. I'm talking about like raw publishing quality, paper, ink, um, print quality in the hand. That's broadly true. But um, you've still got to have something worth reading for me to fumble the paper stock. I'm not that much of a pervert. I can't remember the last Dark Horse book I got. I think it was one of the Grendel compilations. Um, well, apart from my management, probably Chimichanga for me. 
They've got the goon. They do have the goon. They've got the goon. So basically, they've got a bunch of pre-existing franchises and nothing interesting and new coming in. Yeah, I think they're trying, but uh, it is very hard to disagree with the slowly deflating balloon with a sad face hypothesis. Yeah. So that's it. The answers are now Mark Miller, Hitler, sad face balloon. (laughs) We'll revisit these at the end. (coughs) Another question from Nick. Why Modoc? Why not Modoc? That was his other question. <laughs> Nick, now we're stuck in a Modoc loop. With the third question, again from Andrew, wouldn't a Beyonce Modoc make us all feel better? Would it? This is that. I'm, I'm, I'm not so sure about this. So I think part of the joy of Modoc is nudging it a little bit to acknowledge its own ridiculousness, and I reckon that might be over the edge. I don't so in in Casanova there is a sexy pleasure droid that is explicitly Modoc in a sort of blonde ringlet wig. Oh god. Um and and that kind of works, not in a works for me sexually way. But the table but is tilting gel, a gently lilting, I would say. It's not it's not full. I don't know. Why Modoc? I don't know. Modoc is great because Modoc is great. It's just one of those sort of classic it's, designs. So my my pitch for this would be that the only good part about Modoc as originally envisaged is the design. And what makes Modoc great now is the is it's a really good example of postmodern comics writing reusing and gently mocking something daft from the old from the old world without taking it too far, without being too ridiculous, without pointing and laughing too hard. I think that's probably fair. With the possible exception of Next Wave, which turned it straight up to 11. Although, the, there used to be a fanzine... Uh, the Journal of Modoc Studies. The Journal of Modoc Studies, which uh, was only sold at comic conventions. And the guy who wrote the Journal of Modoc Studies got very upset when Marvel started reusing Modoc because it sort of defeated the whole point of his building a faux scientific enterprise mm-hmm. on a character that had appeared three times. So I love the reuse in Secret Avengers. I mean, there's it does everything. So it's it's given a bit of a character. It's played with the design a bit, and then there's that Modoc making it old fashioned. Mm, no, actually, maybe don't. It's kind of there's yeah. it. It's really nailed that. Yes, he is a joke character, but he isn't only a joke character, and that's why Modoc. So addressing the second part of the question, why not Modoc? There is no reason why not Modoc, except that it makes that one guy very sad. Yeah. Also. I'm afraid that one day you will give in to the temptation and build yourself a hat to cosplay Modoc. Yeah, it's always possible. With, the, with the little arm, just your face with, through it. With, with the little, little arms. arms. Yeah, no, I, I see what you're doing. There. Yeah, I, you do look a bit like Modoc. I am not a giant floating head in a chair, you dick. So the Beyonce Modoc question. I I find that quite unsettling. I do. So here's the thing. I think a Beyonce Modoc in the Marvel universe. No. A Modoc-themed Beyoncé video, yes. Right. Would it be a would would Modoc be secondary, or are we sort of demanding that Beyoncé record a, a song about Modoc? I, I was more. And if so, what rhymes with Modoc? It's not orange. <laughs> um, I will not dignify that. Rock rhymes with Modoc, just in case. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, that's that is that is on the list. I was rifling through my mental rhyming dictionary, and you were so far ahead of me. 
Uh, no, I was more thinking Modoc singing, or rather, you know, some kind of animated Modoc thing singing a pre-existing Beyonce song. But I'm flexible on this. We should, you should, you should talk to her people. So the answers so far: are Hitler, Mark Miller, Sad Balloon. Yes. Why not? Beyonce. <laughs> We're really getting through some very good questions here. Should I do a sensible one? Um, if you have one. Okay, I do have a sensible one. Uh, this this one is from John. In curing Barbara Gordon of her paralysis, DC lost a positive disabled role model. Discuss. He didn't say discuss. I said discuss. But, yeah, you know, well, he didn't phrase it as a question. So say otherwise, it's an imperative rather than a question. Kind of yeah. grammar, John. Grammar. Oh, <laughs> uh, he'll he'll hurt us for that. No, um, this is this is the thorny one. Yeah. So, the, a bit of backstory, Barbara Gordon, formerly Batgirl, is shot in the spine, is paralysed, becomes Oracle, does all the whizzy tech support for Batman and his quasi-legal team of superpowered children. Um, Did you see the comic? I think it might have been in, in Gutters. Yeah, that was really depressing. That was... We'll, we'll link it in the show notes, but briefly for anyone who didn't see it, Gut- I mean, Gutters is a kind of joke about the industry comics comic. Um, and there's a boy in a comic store picking up the... Uh, who I think later in the panel is turns out to be in a wheelchair or, or something similar, um, picking up the, the latest Batgirl or Bart Gordon story, saying to his dad, what happened to her? She got rebooted, son. Can I get rebooted? I don't really have any commentary to offer above and beyond that. So, they they kept as a disabled character for a long time because representation is important and even DC gets that occasionally. Well, presumably also because they build a consistent character, right? Yeah. Like, it's... I don't... It never... I, I, I find it hard to see as tokenism. It doesn't really seem that way, especially as it was incorporated off the back of something that wasn't meant to happen in continuity anyway. Yeah, they, they, they'd taken the character to this, this place and stuck with it and built something interesting on top of it. Yeah. But then everything got rebooted because everything always does, and the character recovered, mm. essentially. And there's some interviews online with Gail Simone, who was writing it when, when she came back, and was writing it in Birds of Prey, which was where she mostly featured during the sort of uh, the Oracle years. Mm. And she makes the point, which is valid, is which is that this world is ridiculous, right? The 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 world of the the, the DC universe is utterly ridiculous. Um, and you know, Batman had his spine broken; and he was better in six months. Why has this character not been better? It's it's a sort of logical gap. Yeah, you can you can spin it that way. It's not even necessarily spin. That's that's totally plausible. Um, yes, I mean Batman getting his spine put back together is not even the worst success. Characters come back to life all the fucking mm. time. So the, I think the interesting thing about that is, it hinges on. What you again? What you do with the character? How much you make that part of who they are and what they're going through? So, Batman recovers from having his spine broken. That's the narrative imperative of Batman. There needs to be persistent Batman. Yeah. But more than that, it's not. 
they don't take him particularly hard or deep into that as a as a part of the character journey. Well, they mm, uh, can no. sometimes do. I mean, I was reading Batman at the time; it was kind of crappy. But it was they were it was in the mid mid nineties. Profits were bombing after the whole speculation mm. market burst, and people were panicking. Um, yeah, and so the the Barbara Gordon thing is it? We can. I'm not wild about the loss of of very positive images of inclusion and diversity. <clears throat> the Elseman argument makes perfect logical sense. The only real counter I've got. I have no counter to offer to the suggestion that the universe is ridiculous, this shit happens, and by extension it not happening can be viewed as anomalous. I do have beef with the questionable equivalence with things like Batman's recovery. Well, one of the reasons that was raised was that it was sort of felt by Gail Simone, amongst others, that Barbara hadn't had a fair shake because, you know, Batman spent probably 24 issues battling people who'd escaped from Arkham Asylum to finally have his back broken mm. and he got better. Barbara got shot once. Mm. Um, yeah. In comic book terms, it's just not enough violence to take someone down. Fair. And there's, there's all sorts of other stuff hanging off that about different types of representation and maybe making too much of a kind of serene victim figure out of the character. There's, there's all sorts of places you could take that. Yeah. My gut feeling is that it wasn't a great choice. Um... And yeah, I, that's yeah. partly because I'm broadly in favour of representation in superhero comics Likewise. all the time. Anyway, um, it's also partly to do with the fact that the subsequent comics weren't very good. Um, so I haven't actually read them. I, I've, I've looked at bits and odds and sods here and there off the internet, but I'm, not, they, I'm they, not a reader of this stuff. They didn't really do anything for me, but then I'm not really in the target audience. I got them cheaper mm-hmm. in a sale or something like that. So I don't think we have an answer for John. I think it's something like a lot of hand-waving and mumbling about it being complicated and then spluttering something about representation while looking sad. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. I'm not... I'm looking forward to your summary of that and the list of the answers, so... I'm not... I'm not... I, I will get there at the end. I've, I've stopped. There's too many sad clown faces. So do we want to do a few more questions in this, our festival of barrel-bottom oh, scraping? Absolutely we do. I mean, we are, we are one notch away from doing the body swap episode. So this one, I think, also comes from Nick. Uh, what is the best, brackets, most enjoyed comic you've read all year? Mm. You probably should have prepped for that one. That one seems like quite an obvious one. That's why I've been holding it back. You've got no fucking idea, right? No. Give me a sec. What are you going to go with? I'm telling. I'm going first. Um, That's good, because you've probably got an answer, whereas I'm just going to sit here making a big burbling noise while my brain kicks in. The comic I enjoyed the most was Rat Queens. Good um, call. Because it's big, stupid fun. It's very enjoyable. Big, big, stupid fun. Um, And just different. And I liked it. Uh, There is no... There's nothing more critical than that in it. I had fun reading that. Probably the best thing that I've read this year, differentiating best from fun, and wow, in such a big way with this one, um, was uh, Beautiful Darkness, um, which is a fairy story, a sort of Moomins-esque bunch of small people living in a fantasy world, which is just, they're just tiny, they're just harangued by nature and decay, 
and horror and it all goes very very wrong very dark and deeply unpleasant and you sort of wonder how they wound up at the start having tea parties in the body cavity or the head the skull cavity of a decaying body but it's very again not really like anything else I've read recently that it's, sounds like kind of I am not an animal Moomin's edition it is it is pretty much um, I mean, it's obviously redolent of Lord of the Flies um, and there are some bits that are deliberate calls to Lord of the Flies I think um, it's just horrible and it's all done in beautiful sun dappled watercolours oh wow it's just the whole thing has an extraordinary power to make you feel uneasy the whole time and it's uh, great and difficult and great and difficult mm. difficult so I, I being a, a dour joyless bastard with hyperactive critical glands forgot to differentiate between good and good and fun and interesting and anything on those various axes but did instead panic over does this year mean published this year or that I read this year so I've got also got two suggestions um, for published this year um, this one summer which is joyful in its way but is also aching in places and I've reviewed it on the blog and I've covered it in detail and it's utterly delightful it's got the best ear for childhood voice in anything I've read in a while lazy summer days of self-discovery and emotional trauma and everything turned up to 11 when you were a teenager and then that slow fade back into the gentler more menacing problems of adulthood and teenage crisis and the eyes of childhood it's it's, it's a lovely lovely thing with a wonderful turn um, and the best thing that I've just hands down the best thing I've read this year but not published this year is Stuck Rubber Baby which we also covered reissued this year mm. yes yes it was um, in a lovely, lovely hardback, and that, yeah, is queer identity plus civil rights struggle in the 60s. It's exquisitely drawn, there's just so much detail, it must have taken a thousand years. Um, beautiful page layout, beautiful composition, and a story that taught me a lot about a period I only had a very superficial knowledge of. Uh, a story that's very well told, very personal, so much sadness. Bits of hope, you know. We we know that it kind of gets better. There are some incredibly warming moments in the in the civil rights stuff, and some horribly brutal stuff. A lot of people get murdered by petty bigotry. Particularly relevant at the moment, given kind of some of the stuff that's been in the news as well. Excellent. There we go. We'll do a couple more. We've got time for a few more questions. There we go. Back to Radio 4 voice. It's oh, fine. That was, that was nice. You sounded a bit less like a murderer. Yeah, that's that's always my aim, is to hide how murdery I am. So, which three comic book characters do you relate to the most? <laughs> yeah, I know. I think this is a deliberate challenge from a bad person. Um, gosh, well... Uh, do you want to go first? No. No, that's why I didn't give you any time to prepare and just said it. So you've got to do it off the top of your head. Oh, crikey. Um, that is interesting. Uh, it, it's both delightful and fatuous. It's the best kind of panel question. Yes. Um, 
I don't know, like Desolation Jones. Uh, because of the alcoholism um, and the urination. And the propensity, well, the desire to fuck people up coupled with the massive fragility. He can actually deliver what I never could. Um, and and the, the interest in modernism and architecture. True. He, he is a lot like what would happen if I got recruited into the Secret Service, then developed a drinking problem and had experimental medical procedures done on me. Which was your original career plan? Largely. Um, gosh uh, I should probably pick something a bit more conventional um, oh, let's, let's see where this goes I, I don't know, I'm tempted to just stick with the motif and suggest the Midnighter, but no, that's that's a bit too power fantasy um, something from Tom of Finland? No um, Again, it's power fantasy yeah. Not Power my... bottom fantasy in this case oh. Tiny oh. drum kit Yeah, that's, that's, that's a thing um, which comics characters do I identify with most? The black hat dude from XKCD. That's unfortunate, but probably true. And um, I, he, it's it's like it's like a slightly different inflection on my interior monologue some of the time. Ah. Uh, God, I don't know. This is there. Are, there are. I don't of, generally relate to comic book characters. This, this, this is the problem. There, there spend, are some. I spend a lot less time in spandex saving the world for one thing. Yeah, there are plenty who have exaggerated attributes that I think resonate pleasingly with the dumb bits of my constructed persona. Hence the examples I'm choosing now. But in terms of actually identifying, feels right here. Yeah. Not so much. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and say Harvey Picard, Craig Thompson. And one other person from an autobio comic who is heading towards middle age and depression um, that isn't Robert Crumb because I don't have the thing about massive thighs. So basically you're going for self-destructive man-child spirals and I'm going for misanthropy power-like power fantasies. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's probably fair. I have one of those but in a superhero. Uh, uh, God, there probably is one. There must be one. It's that guy that wears like a cat suit in the DC comics, mm. but like with a big sort of padded cat face. He kind of looks like an aging boxer in a faded Garfield costume. It's terrifying. Are you sure you didn't imagine that? Oh no, I didn't imagine that. I'm gonna I'm gonna look him up just so I can say that that's that's the one. That's the one for me. It's called Wildcat. Look. Oh, that's not right. Like, I thought that was one of the piss take faux Batman's from. Like one of the crossover comics or something. He's meant to have, in some continuity, he's meant to have trained Batman. Mm. Because, you know, he's he's a bit older and uh, he's a slugger. Mm. Um, but he's also an aging drunk. <laughs> I mean, the ultimate power fantasy would, power fantasy exclusion would be sex, Loki, but again, too obvious. Yeah, uh, so basically no one. No one. No, no one there. Oh, there was a thing about do your do your um, favorite comics go well with booze? The ones that we picked earlier. So I'd say Rat Queens probably does. Yeah, Rat Queens goes well with booze and probably pretty well with MDMA. Yeah, um, Beautiful Darkness probably goes quite well with I imagine, gin. I imagine it requires it. Yeah, you you went for quite a lot of childhood innocence. You fucking weirdo. Yeah, so you well, can drink through that. there's a lot of wine being drunk you in, did this, drink in this one summer. I, I did, it's why I'm so low on it. Um, <laughs> I remember getting absolutely shit faced in a hotel bar after my confirmation. 
We're drinking creme de menthe with my mum and my aunt. It was very strange. I think I was 13. I don't really get religion. And it's probably not for the reason you think, but why would a loving God allow creme de menthe? <laughs> we were having it over crushed ice. It was... Oh, for fuck's sake. It was very 70s. Why would you do that? I don't know. I think at the back of her mind, my mum thought that because it was so sweet, it was practically a soft drink and it wasn't doing me much harm. I think when I first got drunk, it was on creme de menthe. It's not very nice. It's not the best. We just figured it wouldn't be missed. Yeah. And I don't think it was. So, yeah, I think this one summer probably goes quite well with that sort of poured in... Drinking in a pot. shaky sadness, middle-aged red wine. Um, and Stuck Rubber Baby... So that's that's a beer and a trembling upper lip. If you could be oh, one, one Marvel superhero or villain team for a day, which would you be on, and why? <laughs> um, why do I always have to go first? Oh, because I have no short-term memory, so me struggling is hilarious. Right? Yes. Uh, well, yeah, that. I mean, the problem is that if I go first, you'll forget what the question was. <laughs> There's no optimum path here. <laughs> oh, that's probably fair. Um, either one of the really fun ones, like Next Wave, where it's clearly just absolute bullshit and they hate each other. Good choice. Um, Good choice. Also, I reckon those guys go drinking. Um, or one of the quiet ones where I'm kind of less likely to get killed. Yeah, somewhere where people can probably keep you alive. Young Avengers, maybe. Mm, I don't know. I think Next Wave is a good call. Yeah, Next Wave. I think it's probably the most fun. Yeah. Well, villain teams. Villain teams is interesting. Yes. I can't really remember. They don't tend to stick around. No, that's the thing. Um, I mean, there's the Sinister Six, but then which iteration of the Sinister Six would you want to go for? Um, you have the various like Masters of Evil and all that bullshit. Yeah. There's the, just... the, the Wrecking Crew in Marvel Comics, and they're mm. all just themed around... Like, one of them actually just has a crowbar. One of them has a, a ball and chain that he hits things with. It's a bit shit. I think one's yeah. called Constrictor. They're just shit. They're yeah, just shit. It's, it's, I think the villain teams are probably slim pickings. Yeah. Superior Foes of Spider-Man was good. Oh, it just shows just how like how grubby and downbeat it is in their, their time off. They're just living in crappy apartments and, and trying to get rich, and it's horrible. Um, how about you, Mr. Connery? Onto which superhero team would you insert yourself? Um, probably, I'm going to say the Invisibles uh, because you'd get like, a free tour of somewhere at worst it would be Liverpool but it might be Paris or somewhere else yeah, that's, that's, so actually, that's actually not a bad place it's cheap tourism essentially yeah. uh, I think that would be that would be good um, or I don't know one of one of the one of the less deranged versions of the X Men because then you could just find the rec room and play pool for a while, and it sounds sounds quite that's quite easy. Yeah, I don't but you need to catch them on an off day. Yeah, like the the, the X Men on downtime. Yeah, yeah. You're a lazy man. I am a lazy man, um, but I do like travel. Hence, yeah, mm-hmm. the, 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 I'm trying my best here. 
Well, I'm not going to say, like, I want to be on the Justice League. I just want to hang out with the fish guy with the trident. <laughs> yeah, fuck no, no, no. Some, something more interesting. One more? One more. One more. I'd like to say I've saved a doozy for last, no, but no. I really don't think I have. Um, if you were in the DC universe, which of your limbs would a supervillain rip off first? Who asked that? That would be Nick from Cambridge. Hello, Nick. You're a weird dude. I think you should go first. Um, I'm going to say left leg. Why left leg? Because I could still stay stood upright on my right leg for long enough for it to be funny for him to then hit me with my own left leg. I don't think I can beat that answer. I mean, which which of my limbs... None of my limbs are particularly threatening. I, I, I'm not a threatening man. I, I'm a slight gangly incompetent. So you think that he would be trying to cripple you as opposed to this isn't just carelessness? Well, if it were like a genuine conflict situation, I would assume the supervillain to um, behave reasonably rationally and attempt to disable me either as quickly or as comedically as possible. Mm-hmm. And in my case, given I present such a low threat profile, I believe those are probably broadly one and the same thing. I mean, just, just anything. Turn off a finger, I'd be down on the floor bawling my eyes out. In fact, it would probably be that. It would be something really, really minor that would render me entirely harmless. Yeah, but pick a limb. Left index finger. Is that a limb or a limb? A limb's bigger. What's the category definition here? Arms and legs. <laughs> Left arm. I don't care. This is a weird question. You seem perturbed by it. Do you want a different question? Yes. This comes from Chris in Cambridge. Kids today, whose fault is it really? Comics, games, parents, the government, or Sunny Delight? Well, it depends on what's up with them. If they've gone bright fucking orange, I think we know. Um, well, I blame my parents for a lot of things for a very long time, so yeah, you probably do, not. but it's not, it's not your parents haven't affected everyone. It, I, this, this, I realise that there's a slight uh, jokiness to the way it's been phrased, but... You do seem to have ruled out total societal collapse, <laughs> which, uh... I don't know. Um, we're all very keen to blame extrinsic factors for children being awful, but I think that... They are fundamentally terrible. Yes, that is I part of the problem. Having been a child, particularly having been a child at a boarding school, I think the, oh God, it must be someone else's fault, really, really does get in the way of the far more obvious answer that they're just shits and need to gradually learn some kind of societal and moral framework. Otherwise, Lord of the Flies is barely a work of fiction. That is exactly what would happen, and it's damn fucking close to what does happen in most boarding schools. You've got some feelings around this. Yeah. Do you want to explore those? (laughs) The look on your face says you'll run if I try to. Yeah. And given that, like, basically everything I own of value is in this room, I'm still running. I'm still running. Yeah, you'd be right to do so. No, I mean, I only partly mean that, but, like, seriously, kids can be utter shits without some kind of framework to help them. Sunny Delight wasn't a thing when I was a kid, because I'm very old. Mm-hmm. Um, we had Snapple, though. God, the most thwarted beverage. It was sad, wasn't it? It was it's trying the, so hard. It's the plain polystyrene chicken sandwich of fizzy, of soft drinks. Except it cost more. It was incredibly expensive. I still... I'm still angry about apple ties. 
Go on. <laughs> this is why I should have a filter between my subconscious. And my... Um, We've gone off the rails at this point. We're just <laughs> mining you for frankly insane anecdotes. Tell us, Roger. Tell us why you're still angry about apple ties. Well, a it's... carbonated apple-flavoured <laughs> beverage. That launched in 1994, I think. So I did look this up to make sure I wasn't imagining it, which is why I know that. Um, they changed the name because everyone pronounced it wrong. Did so... you look it up for this show? Or... <laughs> no, no, this was weeks ago. Okay. I'm not giving you an easy time, am I? <laughs> and you're already traumatised by the <laughs> apple-flavoured <laughs> beverage. I don't give myself an easy time for that one. Did someone beat you up for saying apple tizer after the name had changed? No, no, no. It's more like the reverse. Um, so it was called you apple tizer. You killed a man. <laughs> a little bit. Those bottles are sturdy. No, it's, it was called apple tizer. It was fucking called apple tizer. That is not a hard word to say. And okay. yet, apparently, half the fucking population of the world couldn't fucking manage it and found apple tizer, adding syllables and extra nonsense and making it sound like a, an even more shitty pun than it already was, easier. So they changed the name. Fair enough. They had an affordance, effectively a UX problem that was maybe getting in the way. It was perhaps less cognitively fluent. Maybe. I don't know. I didn't think so. But whatever. They changed the name. And it, it, even though I know this is completely irrelevant, it probably made quite good commercial sense, it strikes me as the kind of sort of slightly lazy pandering, plus they retcon making my dad right. So... He would systematically mispronounce it, and then they changed the rules, they rebooted the franchise, and now, thanks to fucking retcon, he was right. And this was 20 years ago. And you're genuinely quite animated about it now. <laughs> Honestly, it's a wonder that the, 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 the pubs in this country aren't doing better. <laughs> because drink away your sadness. Just, just do it. <laughs> How did we even get onto this? Also, what what have I become? I think in some sense we've always been talking about your apple ties issue. What have I become? No, the sad part is I've always been this. Clearly. I think we'll do. Just just one more. God. Just one more. Alright. I'm not going to do the one about how much you would have to be paid to have angry sex with the Hulk. It would be... Actually, which generation of Hulk? No, 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 this is not happening. He does change size quite a lot over yeah. the years. Like, you would not want mid-90s Hulk. No, that's, no. that's all a bit life-held. Also, he wore jorts. Yeah, that's not good. No, no, you don't want that. So, how could Superman possibly catch anyone safely, given he's the Man of Steel? Wouldn't he mostly accidentally cut people into half... Slash into chunks. Is that from Nick from Cambridge? Yes. Um, Why did we let this man sabotage us? <laughs> we did ask him to. No, I asked we, him for, we asked a, him for questions. questions. He obliged. Um, I don't feel obliged. I feel like he's... Go up my undercarriage. <laughs> You're a sad man. Um, oh, well, doesn't this all... Like, you could work this out with a bit of paper, right? Like, it comes down to term Presumably, it comes down to terminal velocity and forces at impact, and whether he has any capacity to soften or whether he's going to rush up to meet people. And it's, it's a fairly simple physics puzzle. I just can't be bothered doing it. 
Um, so if we assume he's literally got the strength of steel, then presumably he would only do damage if someone was falling with enough velocity to actually do damage on impact with steel. Well, what if he was coming like horizontally and they were falling? Yeah, um, I don't know. It kind of depends on how fast. Kind of match the bo- he could match the relative velocities. Yeah, he could do that. But let's say he doesn't. At about 400 metres in the air, how far do you think the bits would go? <laughs> um, it's been a long time since, since I did any mechanics. I, I Soft-body really physics is hard. Mm. But I think it's safe to say that they would burst <laughs> like a piñata full of mints and ribena. I think that's fair to say, right? I I am perturbed by the extent to which you look pleased about that. So here's the thing. I think even if he's speeding along a lot, he, he's Superman, he can probably fucking stop. Yeah. Um, he probably knows what he's doing, quite frankly. Um, he's been at this for a while. Yeah, he's got fast reflexes and all that. He can probably, you know, move into the into the catch and, and so on. But... Probably did take a couple of goes to figure that out. Yeah. For a couple of couple of nasty accidents. Yeah, I reckon there's about. some stuff that he's a little touchy about. As a childhood and, you know, just sort of launching a pet yeah. with a trebuchet and then hurtling off to catch it and then Yeah. Where's where's Crypto, the Wonder Dog? I gee pa, I don't know. Uh in many ways that was his apple ties. Yeah. Lower fields coming up well this year. <coughs> so many cryptos, so many trebuchets. But he got there in the end. Uh, unless you watched Man of Steel, in which case he killed hundreds of fucking people for no good reason. I feel like you've got some some issues to work through there yourself. No, just I've quite enjoyed my uh, poor man's pisco sour, which is to say, beef eater gin. And uh, diluted lemon squash. It's been a thing I put in my mouth. It's been quite enjoyable. It has got the sort of pisco foaminess though, you can't deny that. Yeah, I'm perturbed by what that is because there shouldn't be any ingredients in any of those things that congeal. I suspect the glasses just weren't rinsed very well. That raises more questions than it answers. So many questions. And that was the name of the show. Good night, everyone.